chapter 2 and verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Sound doctrine means the apostles' doctrine, which was given to the apostles by Jesus Christ himself. The number one thing of importance to the early church was the apostles' doctrine. Paul tells Titus to speak or to teach the word of God that was taught to them by Jesus Christ. All right, verse 2, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in Patience. Paul wanted the old men in Christ to be an example. They were to live a life above reproach. All right, verse 3. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. The old women in Christ was to be an example with a life that was above reproach. They also were, was to be teachers of good things. Underline the word teachers. Alright, verse 4, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Now here Paul instructs the old women in Christ, whose life is above reproach, and who are teachers of God's word, to teach or to train the young wives with children who was busybodies on how to conduct themselves as a wife and as a mother. The old sisters in Christ who was trained in the word of God was to instruct busybody wives how to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home. In other words, stay at your own home instead of running from many houses uh, or from house to house gossiping. Good, obedient to their own husbands that the word of God be not blasphemed. If I were to give this passage a title for Paul, it would be keep the church above reproach. This was the message here. The phrase keepers at home, let me just say this, has been interpreted wrong for many years. It has been explained to mean that a wife place is in the home instead of in the workplace. This explanation or interpretation is incorrect. Let me read verses four and five from the Living Bible. These older women must train the younger women to live quietly, to love their husbands and their children, and to be sensible and clean-minded. Here it is. Spending their time in their own homes, being kind and obedient to their husbands, so that the Christian faith can't be spoken against by those who know them. In other words, Paul is saying for the older women who are equipped in the word to teach the busybody wives to keep themselves at home, spending quality time with their own family instead of running from house to house gossiping. This was the issue here, and he wanted it dealt with to prevent reproach upon the church. Now let's look at the phrase, obedient to their husbands. This does not mean whatever the husband says goes. This is another phrase that has been misinterpreted for many years. Many husbands makes the statement of, I'm the head, and you are supposed to listen to me. You, you're supposed to obey me. That is not what Paul is saying here. That is male chauvinism. That is a Christian husband who do not understand, who do not understand what marriage is all about. Marriage is a partnership with the heart of a servant with mutual submission. That is worth saying again. Marriage is a partnership with the heart of a servant with mutual submission. The Greek word translated as subject in Romans chapter eight and seven is the same word here in this passage 
of, uh, of obedience. The word obedience here is the same Greek word that is translated as subject in Romans chapter 8 and verse 7. Paul is simply saying here for the wives to be submissive to their husbands. Now, let, let me just share something with you. There is to be mutual obedience within a married relationship. Yes, you've heard correctly. There is to be mutual obedience within a married relationship. This is clearly shown in the book of Genesis, chapter 21, verses 8 through 12, which says, And the child grew, talking about Isaac, and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had born unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, and God, underline God, and God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice. For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. God told Abraham to obey his wife. Abraham obeyed his wife. He submitted himself to her. Listen, obedience and submission are one in the same. You cannot submit without obeying and you can't obey without submitting. So we see here from this dynamic example that mutual obedience or submission is to exist in every married relationship. Now, I want you to know, she totally respected her husband. This is clearly shown when she called him Lord, but she also had a voice in her home. Listen, husbands, we don't have all the answers. Our wives have some too. Husbands, our wives are equal partners and we ought to see them as so all right look at verse six young men likewise exalt to be sober-minded now here the young brothers in christ are instructed to be sober-minded in other words to be self-disciplined listen every young brother in christ first goal should be to master him or herself no one can ever fully serve others until he or she has mastered himself. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 32 says this, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Self-discipline is not among the more glamorous of the virtues, but it is the very stuff of life. A young person in Christ who masters him or herself, total self-control in every facet of his or her life is something wonderful to behold. It is a virtue that every child of God must have. All right, let's look at verse number seven. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Now, Paul lets Titus know that if his teaching is to be effective, it must be backed. By the witness of his life, he must demonstrate everything that he teaches. Paul tells Titus in doctrine, show uncorruptness. 
In other words, everything he says and does must be done with pure motives. The Christian teacher, the Christian preacher, pastor is always faced with certain temptations. There is always the danger of displaying self. Listen, it's not about you. It's not about how many degrees you have or how wise you think you are in the word. Never display yourself. Never show off the uh, the wisdom God has given you. There is always the temptation to power. Some pastors are power struck. They always want to be the center of attention. It's not about you. Pastors, listen, are always confronted with the temptation to be a dictator. If a pastor chooses the wrong path of being a dictator, he will sooner or later find out that people can be led, but they will never be driven. You cannot control people. Then he tells Titus to show gravity, sincerity. Every pastor and leaders must have dignity. They must never stoop to the same level of their members who says harsh things to them or to the level of their critics. He must never hold grudges in his heart or carry uh, bitterness in his heart toward others. He is to walk in the love of God with a compassionate heart, full of humility with the heart of a servant. Then Paul says to Titus that he must have a sound message. Now, what is a sound message? A sound message is when you are what you are preaching about. In other words, you are an example of what you're preaching. If you preach a message which you are not an example of, your message and your speech is not sound speech. Let me say it again. If you preach a message of which you are not an example of, your message, your speech is not a sound speech. Your message is ineffective because your life doesn't match your speech. But when your life matches your, your message, the world will have nothing evil to say concerning you as a leader. Oh, I like that. Look at verse number nine. Exalt servants to be obedient to their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. Now, Paul here turns to his attention to another group or class of Christians. In the early church, there were many slaves and some were Christians. So Paul tells Titus to instruct the Christian slaves to be obedient to their masters, to be submissive without talking back to them. All right, look at verse number 10, not prolonging, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Not prolonging means not stealing. The Christian slave was not to steal from his master, but rather show all good fidelity. In other words, demonstrate faithfulness. Then he says for them to adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. In other words, show forth Christ in everything you say and do. And in doing so, your masters may be drawn to Christ by the life you live. Verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation had appeared to all men. Paul had this to say in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Listen, the unmerited favor of God has appeared to all men. And because his grace is present, souls are being saved daily. Thank God for his grace. Oh, hallelujah. 
Look at verse number 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Listen, no one can tell me that a person can't live holy before the world. Because the grace of God has already revealed that we can. The grace of God, the unmerited, undeserving favor of God shows us that if we deny ungodliness and worldly lust, we can live a life that is above reproach before the world. Oh, I'm getting excited here. Look at verse number 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Every believer in the body of Jesus Christ should be looking for the blessed hope. And that is our glorified bodies. The day when Jesus will come and take his church out of this world. We long for his glorious appearing because we know that when he shall appear, we shall be just like him. My God, my God. Look at verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works listen jesus christ gave his life for us to redeem us from all not some not many but from all iniquity he purified us and made us his special possession we are the apple of his eyes we have been accepted into the beloved Glory to God. Look at verse number 15. These things speak and exhort and and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Paul instructs Titus to do three things. Number one, he says, speak, son. Titus was to proclaim the word of God. In other words, preach the word, man. Number two, to exhort. Titus was to encourage and to strengthen God's people. Listen, the pulpit is not to be a whipping ground, but a place of much encouragement, giving honor to whom honor is due. Paul told Titus to build up the people of God. And number three, he said rebuke. Paul tells Titus to correct the things that needs correcting. Titus' message must also bring conviction. The eyes of the sinner must be open to his sin. And those who are saved but have been misguided must recognize their error and cleave to the truth. 